Well, let me ask you a question today. How many of you would like to go on a Mediterranean cruise? How many of you would like to go to Europe and maybe visit some castles or ski the Alps? Or maybe you'd want to go on an African safari. We know somebody here who's just done that. Wouldn't it be great to go and do some of these things? I think it would. Now, maybe too, because we're coming up on Christmas, you start thinking about movies and you start thinking of, well, George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. And he said, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. Well, what happened to those plans that George Bailey made? None of them came through. So what's the, what's the deal with making plans? There's nothing wrong with having dreams. There's nothing wrong with making plans, right? Well, today we're going to look at a common topic, one that's going to be very useful for all of us based on some ideas from Dr. George Murray at Columbia International University. We're going to look at a message called Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Now, since we just finished a series on loving the Lord with our head and our heart, and since we learned last week how we need to take a balanced approach and put that into action, this message today could be a logical exclamation point to that series as we look at what God's will is for our lives and how this helps us to love him more. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about that later. We're going to start with our key verse, which will then lead us to two other verses. Now, if you have your Bibles handy, turn in them, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. And if you don't have your Bibles handy, we'll have that here on the screen. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish. Your Bible, you may have the words unwise or ignorant. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So I wonder how many of you have ever said this. I want to know God's will for my life. Or I just want to live in the center of God's will. Or I'm asking the Lord to show me his will. You ever said anything like that? Let me see your hands. I see lots of hands out there. I think most of us at some point in our lives have said we want to do God's will. And so we want him to tell us what that will is. What does that mean? When you said, yes, I want to know your will, what does that mean for you? What does that mean to me? Well, maybe you're a young person and you say, I'm going to graduate high school but then do I go into college or do I go into the workplace? And if I go into college, do I go to a Christian college or do I go to WVU or Marshall or some other school? And then when I'm done with college, do I get married? If so, to who? Then do I go into the marketplace or do I go into the ministry? Well, if I go into the marketplace, what should I do? And if I go into the ministry, should I go and serve in the U.S. or should I serve abroad? All of these are practical questions And we need to find the answers to that if we want to do God's will. Well, maybe you're not quite so young and you've had a few more trips around the sun. And so the questions that you want to ask are, should I have that surgery? Should we move and be near the kids? Should I continue to work or should we live off of our savings? Or maybe I should start a second career. All of these things are important questions we need to ask. And the Bible says that if we want to know God's will, that it's going to be in there. But I'm going to tell you that what we want to do today is not look at those questions. Even though they're important, those are what I call superstructure questions. And I want us to get down to the foundation. Is that all right with you? Let's go to the foundation and find out what God's word really says. Now, if you want to know about God's will, you can go to Mike Tiener's bookstore, and I'm sure you'll find a lot of resources there. You can go look on the internet, ask Dr. Google, and you'll find lots of resources there about God's will. 
I think that too many people, when they talk about God's will, they make it so complex, so difficult, they make it mysterious, and they make it far more difficult than it needs to be. Just like every other principle in the Bible, knowing God's will is simple. Doing God's will is simple. So what I want us to do, I want us to look at this verse again, but you see I'm going to highlight a word up here, and I want to pay attention to that. Therefore, do not be foolish, but you can't see the word. It's mysterious and hidden, right? No, it's there. Just a, I picked a wrong color for us. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, that word understand is highlighted. That word understand is a verb, and it's an imperative mode. Now, what that means to you and me is the Lord commands us to know what his will is. It's not something we might do. It's something we must do. It's not an option. It's an obligation. So the question, do you understand what God's will is for your life? I think maybe the better question to ask, though, is what is the will of God? I used to think that God's will was something God had a piece of paper and he wrote my name on the top and then he wrote down all the places I was going to go, all the things I was going to do. He put all that down on there and it was all laid out. Then he took that piece of paper, stuck it in a manila folder, and then he would go off and he would say, I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it in this file cabinet here and we're going to take it, close the drawer, we're going to lock it. And then we're going to leave the room and we're going to lock the door and we can't get in there. Then, maybe if I pray hard enough, maybe if I do the right things, then God's going to come to me one day and he says, son, you've been living right. It's time to go look at the chart. So then he's going to take me and he's going to go and unlock the door. He, of course, he's the only one who has the key. And he's going to take me in and we're going to look at this room full of file cabinets. And we're going to say, all right. He's going to go in. He's going to find the cabinet J for Johnson. Then he's going to pull out the drawer and he's going to wipe, rifle his way through and pull out the folder. And he's going to say, here's your folder. And then he's going to bring it out here. And now I'm going to see what God's will is for my life. My friends, that's not at all how the Bible presents it. But yet I would bet that almost every one of us here has had a similar thought. Now, this next statement I'm going to tell you is the most important thing that I'm going to say today. So if you hear nothing else, listen to this statement. If you write down nothing else, I want you to write this down. In fact, I've made it so easy for you, I've put half of it already in your notes. So this, this should make it easy. You can write this down, and I think you'll be so thankful for it. Here's a statement. God's will is not something cleverly hidden that we are challenged to discover. Let me say that again. God's will is not something cleverly hidden that we are challenged to discover. Now, there's another part to it. Let's look at the second part. God's will is something clearly revealed that we are commanded to do. So let me put this whole thing back together for you. God's will is not something cleverly hidden that we are challenged to discover. God's will is something clearly revealed that we are commanded to do. Now, if I just said that God's will is clearly revealed, we need to see how can we find his will in his word. So to do that, we're going to look at that word will, W-I-L-L, and we're going to see how will comes up in scripture. Now, if you have the Holman Christian Standard Bible... The word will exists 10,192 times. And no, Chris, I did not count every single one of those instances myself. 
But out of those 10,192 times, 9,958 times it's used to talk about the simple future tense. Future tense is easy, just describing something we're going to do in the future. For example, after the service ends this morning, I'm going to take one special person out to lunch, something I will do in the future. Is that okay with you? Okay, that's good. So simple future tense, something we'll do, not now, but at some later point. That's the word will that's used 9,958 times in the Bible. Well, now there are 234 times that the word will is used in a different way. Sometimes the word will is used as a noun, the will. For example, Romans 12.2 says that we will get to understand and discern the perfect will of God. That's the noun form. That's not a future tense verb. Then other times the word will is used just like a regular verb, to will. Again, nothing to do with the future. If you remember Matthew 8, the man with leprosy comes over to Jesus and kneels before him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will be clean. He wasn't talking about the future because the moment he said that, he was healed. Again, a simple regular verb, nothing to do with the future. Now, while the dictionary tells us that the will is defined as a choice, a desire, intention, or something that a person wants to do, you can take your Bible concordance, look up all the references to the will of God, and you'll find that God's will is a part of his unchanging character, and it's something that he wants to do. So we're going to look now at the other two verses I told you about that hang off of that first one to help us to understand what God has commanded us to know about God's will. The first verse that we're going to look at is in 1 Thessalonians 4, in the first part of verse 3, where it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So what's the will of God? It's right there in the verse. Say it. Your sanctification. Let's take a look at that word sanctification for a minute. How many of you over breakfast this morning in casual conversation used the word sanctification? Oh, now, come on. Somebody must have, right? You would think that we should be using that word. It's not one that we use very often, but we should. Why? Because it's the will of God. The will of God is our sanctification. So we should be using that word more frequently. Well, common sense says if we're going to use a word, don't we have to understand its meaning? And didn't I say before that things in the Bible are not really difficult and complex? Well, so too with the word sanctification. Here's a definition we can look at for the word sanctification. It's that process whereby God is changing me to become less and less like me. That means less and less like we are in our sinful, selfish ways. And then more and more like the loving Lord Jesus. Let me say that again. Sanctification is that process where God is changing me to become less and less like me and more and more like Jesus. What does that mean is that it's a wonderful thing for us to realize I can be better. I can be more like Jesus. God wants me to be more like Jesus. I think those are good things. Also means that you and I can get up in the morning and realize that tonight we can be more like Jesus than we were today. We can go tomorrow and be more like Jesus than we are today. Aren't those wonderful things? In fact, let me ask you this question. If you're sitting here right now and you want to say, I think it's wonderful that God's clearly revealed will for my life is to make me more and more like Jesus. When I say three, I want to hear everybody yell out an amen. If you really think that it's wonderful that God's clearly revealed will is to make us more and more like Jesus, then let me have an amen. Ready? One, two, three. 
Three. Yeah. Wow, that was great. Well, you said it. Now, let's take a look at what's involved in sanctification. There are two parts to it. The first thing is that sanctification is rejecting all those things which do not contribute to my sanctification. Pretty simple, right? Do you do that every day? Do you make conscious daily choices to reject those things that do not contribute to sanctification? Let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. He was going off to Italy to go to the mission field. Didn't know anything about the country. He had some very well-meaning Christian friends. And so they decided they were going to help him. So they bought him a book about something Italian. They got him a book called The Godfather, you know, about the mafia. Well, he started to read that book. And if you know anything about it, he got about halfway through the first chapter, took that book and threw it in the trash. He said the writing was so explicit in there. He called it verbal pornography. He took that book, threw it away, and he says, I don't need this book to learn about Italy. I can find some other way to do it. So do you make conscious choices every day to reject those things that are not going to help you? Think about for a minute the people you hang out with. Think about the places you go. Think about the things that you read, that you look at, that you listen to. The question that you have to constantly ask, do these things contribute to my sanctification? Do these things that I'm going to do, read, see, whatever I'm going to do, Do they make me more like Jesus? If not, we need to stop doing them. But let's change the focus now from the negative to the positive. Sanctification is not only rejecting those things which do not contribute to my sanctification, but it's also embracing those things which do contribute to my sanctification. Only makes sense, right? What does that look like? Take a look at John 17, 17. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Here, Jesus, God the Son, is speaking to God the Father. He's saying that God's word will help make us more like Jesus. What he's telling us is that a Christian who's in the will of God is a Christian who's in the word of God, reading it, researching it, and applying it to, his area, to every area in his or her life. Do you do that every day? Do you? This is not just for the pastor or for some speaker getting ready for a Sunday morning message. It's not just those who are getting ready for Sunday school faith training classes or for life groups. All those things are important, don't get me wrong, and much study needs to go into those things. But this verse is for you and me as followers of the Lord every day, deliberately spending time in God's word, reading it, relating it to our lives. This is what contributes to our sanctification, and it's something that's necessary if we want to have a part in doing God's will. So whether you're a missionary in Mexico or Mongolia, or whether you're a pastor or preacher in the pulpit, or if you're every man going to church every week, if you don't make these things a part of your life, if you are not growing to be more and more like Jesus, then you are not doing God's will. So let's sum up this first point about sanctification. In fact, God makes it easy for us here, too. He's provided a verse for us in Romans 12, 2. And as you see Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed. Well, that's the first part of what we said. That's rejecting those things which do not contribute to my sanctification. He then says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's the second part. That's embracing those things like reading God's word, which contribute to our sanctification. The result, if you follow these things you will be able to test and approve or to discern whatever the will of God is. 
Now, I said there were two verses that hang off of that first one that head up almost all of the rest of the Bible when you talk about the will of God. The first verse was 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. The second verse is 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing, there's that word again, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What is he talking about? That's the promise that Jesus made to come back. He said, I'm going to return. And you know what? He will return. So he's not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering toward us. Now look what it says. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who should come to repentance? Who? All. Does that just mean half the group? It means all should come to repentance. What 2 Peter 3.9 is telling us is that God's will is the evangelization of the whole world. He is not willing that any should perish, but that should come to repentance. This morning, right now, 2.35 billion people are still living in darkness. They're still waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. That's 10 million people for every single one of us sitting here today have never heard the word of Christ, the name of Christ. They've never seen or heard anything about him. 10 million people for every one of us sitting here. God's will is the evangelization of the entire world. And he wants every man, woman, boy, girl, anywhere living on the face of the earth to have a chance to hear, understand, and respond to the gospel. All right, it's your turn again. If you think it's wonderful that God's, word, God's will is that every man, woman, boy, or girl anywhere in the world has a chance to hear, understand, and respond to the gospel. In other words, that it's his will that they learn about Jesus, that they get saved, that they walk with the Lord, and that they get to spend eternity in heaven with him. When I say three, let me hear an amen from you. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Wow, that was great. You said it. Now, when we're in the will of God... When we think of the evangelization of the whole world, again, it's very simple. It involves two things. It involves vocation, that's what you do, and it involves location, that's where you do it. So the questions here are very simple. Why do you do what you do? How many of you have, have worked at a job for more than 10 years? Okay, how many of you are working in the job now that you, was the first job you've ever had? How many of you are doing that? Yeah, there's a few of you doing that too. Nothing wrong with either of those things. Then let me ask you this question. Why do you live where you do? How many of you are living on family property that's been in the family for generations? Yeah, we've got a few. How many of you are living where you do because of your job brought you here? Yeah, there's some of that too. Nothing wrong with either of those things. Wherever you're living, wherever you're working, that's great. There's nothing wrong there. But as a believer, if you want to understand what God's will is for our lives, we have to go deeper. We have to ask the questions, why am I here? Why am I doing this? But the answer we give has to come from the context of the evangelization of the whole world. So here's the big question. If God's clearly revealed will is the evangelization of the world, why are over 2 billion people still waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time? That's the question. 
Is it because it's God's will that they don't hear? No, we already talked about that. It's God's will that none should perish, but that should come to repentance. Maybe, and this is just the thought that I have, could it be that it's because many Christians, many true believers and followers of Jesus are out of the will of God? Could that be the reason? See, if every true believer would come before the Lord and honestly say, that includes all of us here today, by the way, all of us who, who say that we love the Lord Jesus as our Lord, if we would honestly say, I only want to be in that place vocationally and locationally where the Lord can best use me to get the gospel of Jesus to the whole world, especially to those who are waiting to hear him for the first time. Do you know what would happen? Thousands of us would move from the countries into the inner cities. Thousands of us would move from Beckley, West Virginia, and every little town in every little country out to those places in the world where they've never heard about Jesus. That's what would happen if we said that honestly. Now, you may be thinking, why is a message about God's will being turned into a call to missions? It's very simple. God's will is missions. God's will is missions. Can't you see that? Let me tell you a little story about books for pastors. When we got started, it was just a simple trip. Dr. Parvin and I were going to go to Honduras. We were going to hold a couple two-day conferences, and we were going to teach them and go, and that was it. But yet we decided we wanted to be obedient to God's will and to his calling, and so we kept going. So now we're providing Bibles to Venezuela. Now in January, there's a chance Dr. Parvin and I will be going to Mexico to teach at a national pastor's conference. We may be going to Uruguay next spring to teach at a seminary down there. We may be working with Word of Life throughout all of their Latin American Bible institutes. All of this is being obedient to God because God's will is missions. And see, I live here in Beckley, West Virginia, but I'm going to Latin America. I live where I do, and I work where I do because this is where God is able to best use me for now to spread his gospel in Latin America. So what does that mean for you? Maybe it means for you that you're going to go to another country. Maybe it means that you're to pray or to write notes of encouragement to missionaries who are going to other countries. Maybe it's to be so that you would give the fruits of your labor here to the work that's going on over there. The question you need to ask yourself is, can you do what you do here in other parts of the world where you can also introduce people to the saving grace of the Lord? Now, only you can answer this as you think about God's will for you. Everything that we do should always be done for God's glory. Amen? He has given us gifts and talents. He has equipped us with relationships. That's all the people around us. He has given us the experiences we've had, the money, the skills, even the attitudes that we have and our perspectives on things. He's given all of them to us. Why? So that we can do his will and give him the glory. Just remember, if God can turn a stick into a snake, like he did for Moses, and if he can turn water into a walkway, then imagine what God can do as he prepares you and uses you for his success and for his glory. So the final question we have, this is a simple question for you. We're going to have a little quiz, see how well you were paying attention here. It's only got one question, and it's only a true and false question, but I don't want you to answer out loud. Here's the question. It is good to include God in your plans, true or false? Don't answer. Think about the question for a minute. It's good to include God in your plans. 
True or false? Well, if you know only a little bit about the Bible, which is the basis of everything we believe and teach here, isn't it, Pastor Chris? I think it's the basis of it. You would immediately have answered false, and you would have been right. And so I commend you for all passing your quiz. And if you didn't answer that, false is the answer. I'm not helping you cheat, but false is the answer, okay? See, God doesn't want to be included in your plans. God wants you to be included in his plan. And there's all the difference in the world there. So what is his plan? Again, it's very simple. It's all through scripture. All the world, every creature, go. That's God's plan. Now, I know many people who are sincere followers of Jesus, that they take a piece of paper, they write their name at the top, and then they write down their plans. They say, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get a degree. That degree is going to help me to get a good job. Then I'm going to get married to a nice Christian. I don't want to be unequally yoked, you know. Then we're going to go buy a house. Well, that's the American dream. Then we're going to join a good Bible-teaching church. And since we're young working folks, we can't get too involved, but we'll be greeters, we'll help with the kiddies, we'll sing with Matthew on the praise team. And then when the church has a short-term mission trip to go down to Curacao for a week, we'll scrape together enough cash and we can go ahead and do that. Now, don't those plans sound great? Is there anything wrong? I don't think there is. I think those, those are great plans. I would love to have those kinds of plans. But then you, you look at it, they put a little line at the bottom right-hand corner, bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'd like you to sign this. I'd like you to approve of my plans. But the Lord says, that's not quite how it works. You see, I have a page like yours too. It has your name at the top and it has a place for your signature at the bottom right-hand corner. And I want you to sign it for me. Then you look at it and say, the Lord, it's blank. That's right. So you want me to sign it now and you'll fill it in later. Yes, that's right. Well, can we talk about it first? Sure, what do you want to know? What if you write the word missionary? I just want you to sign the page. What if on my page you say Africa? I just want you to sign the page. What if you say to go where there's persecution? I just want you to sign. What if you say inner city? I just want you to sign. What if you say poor, like so many pastors in Latin America or so many missionaries? Or what if you say poor health, like the families of so many missionaries who have desperately ill spouses and children? I just want you to sign. Lord, what if you say martyrdom or death for the sake of the gospel? I just want you to sign. My friends, what needs to happen here this morning is that some of you need to take that page that you've been writing with all these great and legitimate plans and you need to tear it up into a thousand pieces. Then you need to reach out and take that blank page from the hand of the Lord, sign it and say to him, Lord, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? Maybe you're afraid. That's okay. A lot of people are afraid. Take a look at Jeremiah 17, 7. Jeremiah says, that the man who trusts and puts his hope or her hope in the Lord is blessed or happy. In other words, true happiness is only found in the Lord. Well, maybe you need a little bit more of, of an idea of why to do this. Take a look at what Jesus says in Luke six forty six. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Well, what did he tell us? 
We just said it before. All the world, every creature, go. Those are the last words of Jesus before he ascended back into heaven. If he were here today, he would be saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Here it is, 2,000 years later, there's still 2.35 billion people waiting to hear about me for the first time. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So we need to reach out, sign that blank page, and in so doing, say this to the Lord. Lord Jesus, anything, anytime, anywhere, I'm ready. Lord, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? So let's just summarize where we've been and what we've seen today. What is God's will for us? It's the sanctification of every believer. What is God's will? It's the evangelization of the whole world. I want us to finish this morning by praying out loud two wonderful prayers. Would you join with me? The prayers will be up on the screen. I want you to join with me in the prayers. So first, Lord, you can say it out with me. Help me to always reject those things which do not contribute to my sanctification and to embrace those things that do. That's a wonderful prayer. Now the second. Lord, help me to always be in that place, vocationally and locationally, where you can best use me to get the gospel to those who still have never heard about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I rejoice at the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to show us in your word how much you love us and how much you are calling us to love you. And and Lord, how you are asking for us to be sensitive to your will. So Father, I pray for every person here today. Lord, so many had come down to get these cards to show their level of commitment to you. And there are still many others, Father, that I know in their hearts have also made the promise to do this. So we pray for each and every person here today, Lord, that you would not only just work in their lives to draw them closer to you, but that you would continue to prepare them and that you would show them what you would have them do. We know, Lord, that the ends of the earth will feel the effects of your Holy Spirit's teaching today through each and every person here. And we give you thanks for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen.